Craggy Island Rugby episode 21 and we are here in the Crane Bar on Sea Road in Galway City. Probably one of the fastest growing roads in terms of the economy in Galway with the amount of new businesses that have come on here. But we're in a very old establishment here, Crane Bar. William Davis, you're very welcome along. Good evening. Nice to be here. Yeah, just an interesting change of venue, Alan Deacon. It is indeed, Rob. It's my idea, just to mix it up a bit. Good Guinness. Dave Finn's here. He likes good Guinness. Indeed, it is a very good Guinness. Best Guinness in town. Well, certainly on this side of town anyway. Uh, not even paying us to say that, folks. We really need to get better at the economic side of this podcast. <laughs> Anywho, uh, what a win, William. This is like, when I say what a win, four points that were so valuable at the weekend. Yeah, that was really needed. And uh, it, <laughs> there's so many of these games are must-win games, but that really had the, the taste of it after the, the, the issues in Senecli. And uh, they played well. They had a bit of luck. I think the sending off really got it under the dragon's skin uh, for about 10, 15 minutes, and we pounced. Uh, if they'd brought Ian Goff on straight away, because he sort of took over the captaincy and got a bit of organisation, and uh, we kept going through a couple of sticky patches. Yeah, and we got the, we got a, a result out of a game that actually was quite entertaining, Dave. They always say it ruins a game when a red card comes, but in some ways it kind of... I don't know. I mean, it wasn't a great game. There was no flow to it, but it was. I found it really entertaining. A lot of incidents in it, anyways. Oh, well, you can't. There was certainly be the editors, the TV editors, who probably had. Oh, we got a lot of stuff in this. Um, the red card changed everything. Um, in terms of, it got them fired up. <laughs> weirdly, weirdly, having your captains and that fired them up. It should have. They were dead. They were terrible up until that point. I think it messed us around in a couple of ways because it's always your mentality. How do you play against fourteen men, especially when it's a forward? Do we go for a forward battle, especially on that type of day? I think Jack never recovered. I'm going to say that. I think that's been sort of overlooked. He, he didn't have a particular... But, I mean, if you take a cop and elbow to the side of the head, you're not going to be 100% for the rest of it. But it was a game where I never thought we would lose, but at times I thought we wouldn't win. And it's a bit weird. And I take away from it the greatest oxymoron of all time. A disappointing win. I'll take that every day of the week. We got more points than the Scarlets, and that's all that matters. Where we stand right now, Alan, is a record amount of wins equaled and uh, two more points for the actual points record, isn't it? Yeah, and and with seven games left and four of them are at home, so you know whereas the other two have um, four away games, and mm. Scarlets haven't won an away game all season, so you know it's it's and and one of their away games is against Edinburgh, so it's it's <laughs> it's opened up quite nicely, especially if we can get a, a result this weekend as well. All of a sudden, this game and the trip to Cardiff, you were in disarray, William. This is points gaining time because it's not going to be easy when you're at home to even at home against Ulster, Glasgow, or Ospreys, uh, Munster away as well. So there's only one game against a team that isn't chasing the top four left after we play Cardiff. Yeah, next Sunday is a five-point game. They have they have to get five points because it could come down to a point here and a point there. Would you take six points for the next two games? Yeah, I would, but I want I want more. But I would uh, as as a minimum requirement. Mm. The we got a, we got lucky at the weekend because Munster did us a huge favour at Senecli. I don't know. I watched that game. I don't know what Senecli were thinking. They just they just went to sleep, and I think. Much and all as we sometimes get a bit upset with Munster, they were the only team that could have actually kept going and done a Munster on it. And if Keatley kicked the first conversion of with a couple of minutes to go, they'd have won the game. And obviously, uh, Ulster, in a pretty savage old game in Edinburgh, also did us a favour. And we say, thank you very much, and we move on. 
All right, well, uh, you know, in some ways, we'll park the Dragon's name a little bit, but in terms of we're not going to dissect it, there's no point. It's, it's well established. But what we will look at is some of the good performances uh, from that game. So John Cooney and Owen Masterson were the two names that popped up a lot after the game. Uh, Welsh TV talked, I'll start with you, Dave. Welsh TV talked about both those names. I think John picked up man and match, Harry Allen even mentioning that phrase, and uh, Owen Masterson was outstanding throughout. Owen Masterson was exceptional. The big thing I picked up, it's very difficult, I mean, to know exactly what the Welsh were saying, a lot of it being in Welsh. Mm. Uh, apart from the fact we know that a lot of potential translates into English from Welsh as lots of potential um, <laughs> it's fantastic Actually, I have to say that's one of the strangest things I've ever seen uh, half Welsh half English analysis of Owen Masterson Masterson was fantastic he, what he brings to the side I mean we've seen him enough times with the Eagles he brings a dynamic go forward drive now occasionally he's been playing in a losing side most of the time but, but he has been he, he, he's dynamic he's quick he's not huge I mean he's tall and he's rangy he, but he's not huge what he does though is he goes forward and that's all you want when you have three big ball car- we now have three big ball carriers in the back row no matter who we play so you think if George drops out does Owen being quite the level of a ball carry that uh, sorry Owen McCombe being the same level of ball carry as Georgie does when Masterson comes in he definitely brings that level of level of of ball carrying so that so that John and Jake or John and whoever it is can focus on the, the nitty gritty nasty work and I think that drive is what we needed because we don't have against Clinetti we didn't have we didn't have go forward ball against against the Scarlets and especially that break which eventually leads I think to the second try that is entirely down to Masson and his go forward and he's grown the, giving him the captaincy of the Eagles has allowed him to grow gain in confidence comes in and actually and his performance was superb yeah he's a highly intelligent player that's what I like about him he's a, he's a really you know, it's not just bish bash bosh with him. He's actually looking for holes. He's actually looking to get on the, onto the soft shoulders of, of the guys. It's it's you know he, he plays intelligent rugby, real heads up stuff, and um, of course he's young and hungry. We've got a situation in the Connacht camp now where all these players get a chance. Yeah, and that's what you need. That's why you need a squad at this time of the year because these games are just going to keep rolling round. Um, one other thing, to, talking about intelligent players, we we actually played the conditions properly on Sunday, particularly in the second half. Uh, someone we have been guilty of ignoring this season, particularly the home game to Edinburgh. We Once um, Craig Ronaldson went to out half, a couple of very clever kicks, put the pressure, just said, there's the ball, you've got it on 22, they had to pick it up in a squelch. They miskicked. We also got a try from that with the block down, just by playing very simple bog standard if you like rugby nothing particularly fancy but it was a lot more um, it was a lot it was a better mental approach to the game than we have seen previously um, just on Craig Ronson I'm trying to remember the last time he played because he was in great form he got that injury and we kind of weren't sure whether this would be a big blow or not was that after he started, didn't he play 10 against Munster this is bad podcasting to be asking that question we should know it and then he's been injured for quite a while but Craig Ronson at 10 Alan what do you think overall yeah, I'd like to see more of him. He's he's been injured every time. It looks as though he was going to get a bit of a run in it. He 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 has been injured. Like he's he's a big lad. He's not afraid to take to take the ball up uh, on the gain line. Um, he's got a, a good a good boot in him, and sometimes can take a little bit of a time to to execute his kicks. Um, but yeah, he, he certainly looks like um, if we can keep himself fit, he'll he'll give us what we need. And he came from a winning team. He came from a team that was used to winning, and you know, um, as. William said he put us in put us in the right places and you know at the right times in the game to give us a chance to win. Are we looking at him next weekend? Do you think and back? They don't know what to do in the centre at the moment. 
Well, the thing is, if you we lined up on paper last week, and you were there, right? it, it seemed to me that we, we did keep Dave Mack at 12, but Craig was on at 13. I still come back to, I think we have to understand, Jack took a, an elbow to the side of the head, and it's going to disrupt him. You're not, you're not coming back from that. And I think he was a lot more rattled than, he, than, he, than we originally think. Yeah. But I think in terms of, well, Craig is also a bigger man, so he can take the hits, and he, can, he also has a little bit more game experience. Jack... Unlike as, as Alan was saying, Jack, ha- it's not that Jack hasn't come from a winning team, but Jack has gone academy into first team. Whereas Craig has had that season in the AAL, having to play the hard graph at a lower level, but also winning and getting used to the idea of this is how we win attritional games. And I don't think Jack has had that yet. And that, Jack, that will come to him. That will definitely come to him. So I would definitely, I'll be thinking next week as a case to be made for Craig at 10, Dave Mack at 12. Now, this is where it gets interesting. Do you bring Danny into 13 or do you bring... Darryl some... Leader's injured now, so we know Darryl he's Leader, I think I think there is a... I think it will not be impossible, though, though I don't think this will happen, but it would not be impossible for Mills, if he is fit, to go in at 13 and Tiernan to come in at 15 and keep keep Danny out in the wing. Because I don't think Danny is comfortable at 13 in terms of defence. You'd better. It, it, it's better to have Danny on the wing than say bring, have Danny at thirteen and then Anihi at eleven. Nothing. They all give something good going forward. But in terms of D, now maybe you could get away with it against Treviso because they're going to have like so, in some positions they may have their fourth or fifth choice guys in. We just don't know. But I would reckon that would be my. What is what I do if Mills was fit? If Mills isn't fit, then we're in re- then we're not in real trouble at thirteen. I think this is one game we can get away with it. Maybe bring Danny into thirteen, Nihi, but definitely ten, twelve should be Craig and Dave. I just think for this game it's about the win and the, and then just we'll see how it goes I just think I just think it comes up winning nasty games Craig is there because he's been there with the AIL Is it also about trying to get something going in terms of uh, for Cardiff as well because I'd say if you're Pat Lamb you'd love to get a lot of tries here and get some sort of partnership that you can put straight back onto the field on Friday Yeah Cardiff are in a little bit of a mess so we, don't, we just you don't know what's going to happen in that game. Do you play Edinburgh in between now and when we played them? So. Yeah, and that might be very unpleasant for them. Um, so he has to... He wants. He just wants a good performance on Sunday. And he needs five points. And then he's just got to go straight in and go 100% at Cardiff. The There is a gap coming after that. A couple of weeks off again. So Cardiff game is a huge potential. If they got a bonus point, great. But... They, they might just win it. It's it's it's, it's a big it's a big couple of weeks in the season. There's no question. Isn't it? It's it's huge because you, you've got your gap and then you're straight into Munster away, Gloucester away, Ulster home. That's concentrate your mind straight away, and then that that can roll on to other things. So it's all about little pod ga- pods of games, and we're coming to the end of it. If we came out of this pod with three wins out of four, you're you're in a great position. the The remaining games at the end of the season are all hard. Sides will have full teams, a lot to play for, and Ulster, Munster, and Glasgow won't have any European commitments, and that's a big, big issue for us. And the fact that the Ospreys are now a bit off the pace means they could roll up here at the end of May, the last game of the season. We could be still winning distance of them, yeah. Yeah, and we could. You know, they could be looking for something because the home semi-final in the playoff is a huge issue as well. Alan alluded to this last week. And I said it to you when I sent you a little text on Sunday. The uh, presenter in Galway Bay FM after the commentary started talking about our position in the table. This is a huge difference. A year ago, we wouldn't be sitting here analysing 
whether we're worried about who Senechley are playing or yeah. Edinburgh are playing or anybody else because we would be down out of it just playing games obviously trying to win and do well but there's a there's every game now every decision is is relevant to the to the rest of the season and that's somewhere we haven't been before okay Park, just to finish the Dragons game, obviously I was over there doing a bit of commentary. Brett Wilkinson was on co-commentary, and while we were sitting in the airport waiting for a delayed flight, we had a 17-hour day. It started at 8 o'clock, finished about 1 o'clock. The violins are out. <laughs> General sense here. In case you can't hear that, folks, everyone's really feeling sorry for me. And uh, here's the voice of Brett Wilkinson and his thoughts on the game. All right, Brett, plane delayed, so we're here in Cardiff Airport, and we're just... Uh, waiting to get on a plane back to Dublin after a long day of travel but it makes it a lot easier when you're watching Connacht win and reporting on what is a record equaling eight win of the season not pretty but job done yeah I think um, they'll be very happy you know as you say not pretty but job done and you know Connacht have won now and you know the last eight pro 12 games and you know going really well yeah, absolutely. I mean, the season they've had, what they've had to do, three away wins, I think the record is four, and they might well uh, equal that this year with Zebra and Cardiff away games still to come. Munster might be a little bit trickier, but they're the three away games on the cards. Listen, today was strange. I mean, taken on face value, you're playing 14 men from the 14th minute, and you probably should have made a better job of it, but I, I don't get the feeling from the comic management team there and the players, you're just chatting to them there, that the vibes are anything other than just a kind of a sense of satisfaction that they've, they've got the W. Yeah, look, they all know they got they got stuff to work on, but a win's a win, as they said. And they, you know, before today, they'd have taken that and and run with it. A win away from home at a tough place to go, like the Dragons, is a great result. But also, you know, with the shocking conditions, um, having an extra man doesn't really make that much difference. There wasn't much ball being played, so mm. it was a real kind of scrap and a dogfight. So, on a dry day, it might have you know helped Connacht a lot more. But like on a day to, like today. Um, you know, it's good. It's good to have an extra man, but it didn't kind of develop, kind of as much, if you know what I mean. Yeah, today felt more like an American football game, where you could see the origins of how American football developed, because everything was around the middle of the pitch in terms of you could draw a line between the two five meters lines, and when when the ball was in the contact area, players were bunched up, and I guess that's what you mean. There wasn't a chance to get the ball wide. I mean, Pat Lamb was even shouting at one point, "We were too bunched up." So, with that in mind. That means you just in those kind of conditions, if you're going to have a game where you go down to 14 men, that's that's the game. That's the conditions you want. It is, yeah, and 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 you've you've hit the nail on the head there. You know, those are the exact conditions if you want. If you're down a man, mm. everything's in the kind of in the middle of the pitch. The ball's not being thrown around that much, and it's a real dogfight. Also, they were really fired up. One of the surprising things afterwards is the amount of positivity around the Dragons dressing room. You know, in the past, you'd think they'd be devastated losing that game, but there was a real sense there that with 14 men, they had battled bravely. I think they did, in fairness. They probably were worth that losing bonus point. I think they were. They, they did They did battle bravely, you know. Going down, you know, I don't know after how many, how many minutes it was, but, you know, with 14 men. But, I mean, I suppose this Connacht side have also got a lot of, you know, expectation now, and, mm. and a lot of teams take them more seriously, seriously and respect them a lot more, so... Mm. Um, that's another factor to, to think about. Thinking about whether Connacht improved on last week, obviously they seem to anyways, but I don't think you could... Like, There was a feeling that they were more clued in and tuned in this week, wasn't there? I mean, any of the mistakes didn't necessarily come from a kind of a, you know, not 100% switched on. They just came from conditions, maybe just a little bit of bad luck as well. Yeah, and I think, you know, they would have had a, a tough week this week after, you know, the performance last week, and we chatted about it before, you know, all you can ask is for is a performance from the lads, and I said it before, if you get the team with a performance, 
you're not going to if you if you're losing you're not going to be behind by much and you'll definitely be winning you know if you have a performance and that's what they delivered today you know they just they just made all did their jobs and and made sure they got it done it was scrappy but you know the performance was good pick out some of the key players today for you I thought uh, Tom McCartney had a great game at hooker. I ten thought, from ten in the lineup. Yeah, his lineouts were brilliant, um, and and even his play, his carries in the loose, and he, you know, just his tight work. And I thought uh, Ali Muldowney in the pack was brilliant. He's um, he was very good. He you know he also ran the lineout well, and his carries were very good. He always got over the gain line, got into space. Um, so Ali would be another one for me, but then young Owen Masterson also impressed me while he was on. You know, he was he was everywhere doing the dirty work, and then he in ball in hand, he was very impressive. So, but you know, it wasn't a day. You know, it was a day to roll up the sleeves, and you really do. In, in, you know, in games like that, you don't see the lads who are doing the hard graft. So the likes of Dennis Buckley, John Muldoon, you know, Rodney Ayew in the loose was very good and you know I suppose all the rest of the forwards were doing doing the hard work so you know it all made sense in the end Well done for keeping it going there as we're being asked to go to gate 3 we're not going yet because no one's moving loads of time <laughs> half to nine mm-hmm. yeah, listen we have time to talk about John Cooney I watched him barking some um, not orders uh, he was frustrated it was a ball he went up for and uh, Matt Healy kind of went up for it as well and I was kind of suggesting the commentary maybe needs to focus a little bit more and not be kind of uh, kind of given out to his fellow teammates but you're, you came right back and said no no that's possibly what you need out there and he seems to be his character it is one of the, one, I don't know how many I'm going to check how many starts he's had now in my stats but he hasn't had too many but he kind of he kind of stood out today didn't he? He did, yeah, and I mean that's what you want from from players, and you know he's in a key position there, and, and mm. I suppose he's telling lads what to do and what he expects, and anything under par was, you know, you're going to hear about it. So, you know, it's good to see that going on on the pitch, lads, you know, challenging each other and expecting nothing less than than the best, and not accepting, you know, mediocre, mediocrity and, and and second best, which is brilliant. Uh, do we? Is it something maybe that um, Marmion could add to his game a little bit? Because sometimes. I don't know. Is he is he louder than we we notice? You don't necessarily see him giving out too much. No, he is very he is very loud on okay. on the pitch. He does communicate well. You wouldn't see him giving out, but he he is very good communicator. Okay, so yeah, Cooney might just add something a little bit different while Marmion's out injured. Uh, we don't know how long that's going to take. Jake Keenan, where's he now? Is he is he getting back to his best? He wasn't as prominent as he might be when he's at full flight. Is that fair? Yeah, well, maybe we'll look at the video and see it was very prominent. Sometimes you don't notice. Yeah, maybe, maybe not. You know, we saw great snippets of him. Mm. You know, yes, sticking definitely. out, and you know, often it takes a player three, four games to get into. You know, when he's had the long injury, injury delay he's had, you know, it usually takes a player three, four weeks. You know, three, four games to to get into things. But we definitely saw snippets of him. You know, that that those good snippets that we saw of him, we saw it again. John Muldoon was excellent today, really back to his very best. A little bit frustrated with the referee last week and, yeah. and a couple of things not going his way, but boy, was he back to his usual kind of hard work and toiling self. He was, and he, you know, I suppose he led by example. He really, you know, rolled the sleeves up and, and really led that pack of forwards around the field and, mm. and, and set the example, which is good. And what you, what you look to, you know, when you have a, a captain and, and a guy who's been here so long and, so, you know, someone who players look up to in those difficult times and you know he led from the front today Scarlets are in Ulster next week Edinburgh possible more winnable game against the uh, Cardiff team in disarray but Connacht have Treviso at home without their Italian internationals it's an absolute must win isn't it and uh, having said that, uh, that it's also a huge opportunity to maybe maybe stretch that lead a little bit over the, the other sides yeah I mean these two next games are are great opportunities and, and you win those and geez, 
anything's possible really you set you up brilliantly and we even brilliantly set up now you know in six spots after a good win today they'll take that confidence into next week and then the following week after that very good we won't miss our flight <laughs> thanks Brett There's the voice of Brett Wilkinson. Okay, one of the players he mentioned there and, and played well was John Cooney, and the John Cooney issue needs to be discussed because it's bizarre. He played for Leinster off the bench uh, the previous week. Just to be clear, as he did come off the bench in the against them, yeah. So he against he did, the dragons. Against the dragons, and then one week later he's playing for Connacht. He's on loan from Leinster to Connacht. Confuse things a little bit more. Next season he will be signing with Connacht, but for now he's still a lone player for uh, and under Leinster's books. When he was called back, everyone went, "Oh no!" And understanding loanees as we do from other sports, we said, "Well." That's that's him gone for the season. He's back with Leinster. Nope, he's back with Connacht again this weekend in time to play the Dragons for a second week in a row. I may, be, may as well start with Dave. You've had some sort of an explanation for it. I'm just going to explain. I, there was, when the Ireland team came down, and there's a lot of... I'm not the only person who has this, so I'm not saying this is nothing that isn't exclusive to me. There are a lot of other journalists there who have the same recording that I do. I asked Pat what was the situation with John Cooney because we had discussed it. We, think it's, it, we weren't sure the previous week. So I asked Pat what the situation was. And he said there was an arrangement between Leinster and Connacht about John Cooney in the sense that Leinster found themselves with a one-fit scrum half, and that was uh, Luke McGrath, because Boss had been called up to the Ireland team and McCarthy was in the under-20 team. Kieran had been told he would be released. Pat got the heads up that from, from Joe Schmidt that Kieran would be released. This is all above board. All, there's nothing underhanded about this. So Kieran gets released, Ian Porter is on the bench, John is, on the, John is therefore not likely to be in the under-23 for Connacht. Leinster asked for him back for that game. Where it gets confusing, and I think this is something, is that where most of us would go, ah, well, fair enough, we've lost John for the rest of the season, hopefully we've got, Ke- we've got Keelan and we've got Ian, we should, you know, we're, we're a little bit stuck if something goes wrong with more than, more than one, but John is gone. What it appears to be is that that was the situation that only applied during the Six Nations. And that once the Six Nations is over, now I'm, I will have to. I'm, I'm going. This is my interpretation. Of what Pat said was that 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 it was only for a situation where Leinster found themselves with one fit scrum half during the Six Nations. It does not apply. So once the Six Nations is over, or once they get, say, if Boss gets released from the squad or McCarthy gets released from the twenty squad, then John would always be available for us. As it's turned out, Kieran's injury means that John stays with us. So realistically, we now have John, Ian, and Caelan, and next week. I think Leinster just have Luke McGrath and there's nothing Leinster can do about it. It is a truly bizarre situation. I, I don't understand how a team can play... A, a guy can play for one team one week, another team the second week, against the same team. I don't understand how the Dragons didn't go bananas about they it. They must be looking at him. At least one or two of them who are good at recognising faces must have gone, that guy looks a hell of a lot like the guy I met last week. Absolutely. It just seems really strange that this, this can happen. But then I suppose we're still a relatively young competition and... This sort of thing hasn't been worked out yet. Well, I want to make, make clarification. Any other rugby competition, if they haven't in the Connacht Junior League, this is just like not going to happen. The player can't play for two teams I, I, the same I, I, season. I think there are no rules have been broken. It's all about board with the IRB, with the RFU. It's all about board with the Pro 12. Everything is fine. We have not done anything wrong. It's just we've exploited. The, it's, again, there's loads of rules in rugby, and I've, I've seen them that you're looking at going, that's a bit weird. Would never happen in any other sport. This is one of them. Kieran's injury means it's a lot more clear cut. John does not go back to Leicester. Why he was allowed to go back for that game? makes sense in one respect but it completely contradicts it a player who is on loan from a club does not go back to the parent club and then gets sent back out again it doesn't happen anywhere else it's just truly weird the section of John's wardrobe where he stores all his tracksuit and jerseys must be a little bit fuller than usual now he must be like oh not the Leinster one uh, absolutely um, to change sports where it didn't happen a player called Zarate at 
West Ham got sent off on loan to QPR and West Ham <clears throat> suddenly decided during the right on the last day of the transfer window we better get him back so he's going to be re-loaned back to the parent club it all went through until the Premier League said absolutely no way you can't do that he has to stay with the with the club he's been sent to the fact that QPR won't actually play him means he's just sitting playing for the reserves but they actually make a decision uh, it's all a bit too ad hoc for me in, in this rugby yeah. and I think it's worse because they've actually play, he played against the same team twice yeah it is and listen look it's, it's, it's not the biggest issue in the world there's no cheating going on or anything like that because it's perfectly above board but it, but it is indicative of a bigger problem within rugby there are a lot of issues that are to think I'll give you another example re-refereeing issues you've said it a week ago Dave so I, so I just wanted to bring it up again because we saw something in soccer there at the weekend the same thing with Ashley Burns and my own club in Burnley but referee saw it and made the call and that's it he said there was no yellow card and that's it and like what we saw with Pascal Pape is ridiculous because the referee saw it he yellow carded him and then we have a second opinion and a third opinion where, where does it begin where, where does it end is the key point I'm trying to find out here well, well Pascal Pape should have got a red card he should have but once uh, well, he didn't he didn't yeah. you know yeah I mean, I mean here's the thing I mean it, it's ridiculous the thing about it is is that they're reviewing incidents that have already been adjudged on I thought the whole idea of citation was the stuff that's missed so if Finn Russell who has lost his appeal and cannot play this weekend, had not been yellow-carded, you would go, OK, fair enough, you've cited him, you've gone. If Wayne Burns hadn't seen Pat Bay's knee, which, to be fair, at the time, nobody saw. Yeah, Wayne Burns was right there, though. And, I mean, Wayne Burns gave a yellow well, card. No, someone did say it. Nigel Owens. It was Nigel Owens who, who, who basically called it. Yeah. And that's why they went to the TMO to look at it. And then he, the referee then has to adjudicate red or yellow card. But the officials then who have given him 10 weeks are saying that Nigel Owens, one of the world's best referees, Wayne Burns, one of the most highly rated referees in the world, see how I changed that very <laughs> carefully there, were, were, were wrong to an enormous degree because it's a 10-week suspension. Well, it so they were spectacular. It was actually a 15-week suspension. Oh, they, sorry. They gave him five weeks off for uh, him basically admitting for his... not kneeing people in the backs before, is it? Admitting his guilt. What's even... But do you, do you see my point there with the referee? Like, the, the, the officials no, I, are basically reading... No, no, I think they're You think they're two separate things? I think they're two separate things because you, you have to look at what happened afterwards. You know, when the decision was made, Heaslip was still on the field... Subsequently, he, it turns out he's got three vertebrae broken no. in his back and stuff like that. I, think I disagree with you there, but I, yes. I think, I think we'd, we'd, if Lloyd Linton hadn't sent Landman off, Lloyd Linton would be being destroyed because there's a clear elbow to the head. Now, but that was, Lloyd Lin- yeah, okay. but Landman's, Landman's suspension would be based on Lloyd Linton's decision to send him off for an elbow to the head. What's, a no, what's, what's for strength for the likes of Finn Russell is Finn Russell is getting a ban based on somebody else's interpretation of somebody else's interpretation of what he did. That is a, it's a second... It's, it, it's, oh, you weren't punished harshly enough. But is that not the exact same with Pascal Pappy? Well, no, but Pascal Pappy is exactly the same. The problem is that Landman is getting judged, is getting judged and will be banned based on what the referee saw. Pape and Russell are not being banned on what the referee saw, they're being banned on what the guy in the TV box interprets, how the guys in the TV box are interpreting what the referee did. There's an extra level of separation, and that's the issue. Either the referee gets it right, or he gets it wrong. Don't say he got it right, but he didn't get it right enough. Yeah, that's, I couldn't agree more. Yeah, but I don't think that's what they have said. They've actually said it should have been a red card, but once you hand out a suspension of that length of time, you are actually saying to Wayne Burns, you got this wrong. And I'm assuming, yeah. I'm assuming when he's talking about that game and, the, and he's been marked up or down on it, that will, that will hold against him. Well, what was interesting about on Sunday was, Sunday was quite different, and it, it was quite interesting to listen to. 
For the landsman, yeah. For the landsman issue. <clears throat> it was called by the touch judge to the, to the referee, and he said, we need to look at this. It went, and the referee then discusses it with the TMO, not with the linesman. They watched the screen, Derek Bevan in the TMO box said what he thought, he said, I can see an elbow to the head, it's late. The referee said, I'm going to award a penalty and a yellow card. Are you happy with that? Derek Bevan in the TMO box said yes. Then the linesman came back in and said, are you happy with the yellow card? And the referee then looked at it again and said, I'm going to award a red card. And I think it was a case of a linesman protecting a very young referee, he was only in his sixth game, who maybe was hoping the TMO would make the decision for him and it was the correct decision it was a cheap late shot and it was it was almost worth a red card for the stupidity of it <laughs> it's, it's, it's not even the viciousness of it I mean to do that you're the team captain and there's cameras everywhere it's, it was nonsense and what was also interesting was when it went again the referee said something like I see an elbow and a forearm late and basically what he did was he could have gone through him and just knocked him, but he couldn't resist bringing up the elbow and smashing it in. Uh, but it was the linesman who really, in the end, pushed that decision, having originally called it, but wasn't involved in the discussion with the TMO. I hope that's not confused everybody. No, it's good officiating with five well-qualified officials, and now we have others coming involved to make further decisions. the issue there is, and this is something that... that and it applies to tries, it applies to every TMOs always go with should I do you disagree when was the last time apart from on maybe a knock on or or, or, or try whenever it's an issue of discipline when was the last time a TML went either you've got has gone you've got that wrong the linesman which is listen I've given out enough times about line, linesmen this year to who because they haven't got the haven't got the cojones to go out there and actually point these things out they, they abdicate a lot of responsibility that I thought Lloyd, I thought Lloyd Linton had a very good game I can't even remember who the line I was. Probably a even probably probably a Welsh guy. Yeah, two Welsh guys. Two Welsh guys. Two Welsh guys. That is is, that is super. And Derek Bevan, the most experienced person there is Derek Bevan. And Derek Bevan said, "I will not disagree with the referee." Sometimes you have to disagree with the referee if you're a Lino or a TMO. If you're going to help him, no. I'm not saying that you have to undermine him, but if you're helping the guy, Lloyd Linton is, I think he's 34, 35. Seventh game, yeah. Yeah, very young. He, the easy thing to do is yellow card, yellow card penalty from where it landed. Don't annoy the locals. Believe me, Lloyd Lydon is not safe in Newport on his own. <laughs> oh my gosh, <laughs> the abuse that man got. That's a whole podcast in itself on, on what Newport fans can be like when they get mad. But, anyways, that said, they're still ropey fans, so it doesn't go beyond uh, just uh, lots of booze and lots of frustrations. Let's go to some audio from the post game. Uh, Pat Lamb speaking to me after Connick's victory over the track. Pat Lamb, that's third away win this season, Connick, yeah. to eight wins now. I mean, W's are really important, and on a night like this, you'll walk away from this pitch really happy, I'd say. Yeah, we are. It's, you know, a bit of hit and run, get the job done, and that, that was our whole focus this whole week, you know. Um, I think we said after the scarlets we're disappointed, we said things were fixable, and one of the key things was guys doing their jobs, and at lots of periods of time, you know, throughout in, in tough conditions, guys just had to do their jobs, and everyone shared the workload, and uh, they certainly did that. Um, you know, disappointed with, um, with some of the 
you know, the points that we conceded, and particularly that last try was pretty soft. Uh, but you know, we, we head we head now to uh, back to the sports ground and um, against a big game against Treviso to keep the um, to, to keep the momentum going and um, and hold our position. I know there was mistakes and errors in this game, but you said last week Connacht were their own worst enemies. I guess this week a lot less mistakes in terms of ball retention through the phases, and that's what got Connacht into a 17-3 lead. Yeah, we're a lot, lot better at the breakdown, a lot better in our carries. There's some excellent carries, uh, you know, but still our kicking game still not spot on. You know, we kicked balls out on the full. We didn't quite, you know, hit, hit the ground um, most of the time. But you saw when we do do it, we were able, you know, we came into this game with the conditions to put it behind them and get our kick chase up and, and put some real pressure on it. And you could see the difference, uh, and we got a lot of our points on the back of that. But when we, um, you know, again, guys doing their jobs. To pick two points in the winning of the game after that good start, it was probably started the second half when you kind of edged forward again. And then maybe the last 10 minutes, big turnover in the scrum at a key point in the game on 72 minutes. Yeah, it was, it was. And I think, um, you know, and, uh, again, for, you know, key guys just making uh, making good decisions. And, and you know, we, we talk as a team, our biggest learning this year is around applying pressure, making sure we can apply the pressure and keep it on and, and relieving it when we need to. But, um, and, you know, at times we put that and, and uh, we need to get our line speed up on D and there's some great, there's some great defence. I thought, you know, it was a huge effort from John Cooney, from uh, from Jay Kennan, Tom McCartney, you know, right across the board, but certainly those guys with their 80 minutes was, uh, was pretty impressive. I know you won't talk in terms of must-wins and whether this was a must-win or whether next week was a must-win, but can you kind of put into context this kind of fixture where you know it was at least targetable, you knew there was an opportunity, your guys have delivered, and it's kind of similar scenario next week? Yeah, it is. I mean, we, we, we highlighted we straight away, I suppose, one of the... The, the positives that come out of losing is that you don't you can't say oh we've got any breathing space and have a safety net and that went so we built this whole game around the final it's uh, we need the, we need the win uh, and um, so that we control our destiny we've got that and nothing changes next week you know uh, the, the the pack below are coming hard and we just got to keep our noses in front and we, the only way we can do that is winning yeah we gave away initially we we're disappointed to give away the bonus point but then we shouldn't be worried about that you know it's up to them to get above us and we just got to win games and we've got to go get back and have a good week and, and win the game next week. music is picking up here now we have a live band upstairs in a couple of minutes time we're in the final part of the podcast that was the voice of Pat Lamb there after uh, well a good victory over the Dragons he was a happy coach and well aware of the fact that they made hard work of it but we're not going into that because there's no point as Brett Wilkinson said overall four points in the bag move on Alan when you look at that table William made a great point earlier and a salient point Connacht have never been in such a position where we're talking about tables and remaining fixtures never literally never have we been so focused on what's to come in February uh, rather than focused on new signings and maybe the overall picture and that's that's the biggest positive of all isn't it? It certainly is and, and to be to be in control of our own destiny is yeah. huge yeah. you know because it really is Someone I, said that to me the last day actually is it in Connacht's hands? I said yeah it is it's amazing how many people think like that yeah because yeah, it is like this, everyone's got seven games left as I said earlier we have four home games as against the others having four away games um, I know Scarlet's haven't won an away game but two of their away games are against Zebra and Treviso <laughs> so you'd expect them to pull up there but like, like Edinburgh play Treviso next week and Treviso will more than likely have their Italian Italians back which means that Edinburgh could be in a bit of trouble there because Treviso did a feral job on Cardiff two weeks ago um, so yeah and, and another interesting thing is that of you know we all have to play the three teams Scarlet, Edinburgh and Connacht have to play Treviso twice Zebra twice and then Cardiff play against or, and Cardiff are in there as well yeah Cardiff as well three times so you know there's three, t- three teams have a massive influence and what's going to happen in, the, in this three-tier league. William, you were talking about Ospreys chasing the playoffs. Is there a chance that maybe 
all three teams chasing six with so much determination that they could drag one of the other sides into the race for you know uh, what I'm saying is could the Ospreys end up being caught by one of these three sides below them uh, I, I don't think so I think once they get their Welsh internationals back they they yeah, have cut a, above like the, the, yeah and they also have an exceptionally good record in this competition they're the only Welsh team that's really done well in it and I think they actually set, set themselves up at the start of the season to play well in it play their strongest teams and win uh, and they get the best crowds. Um, sometimes they're not fantastic crowds, but they, they do get the biggest crowds of the Welsh teams, as far as I can see. Mm. That are, they genuinely are people there, rather than just makey-uppy numbers. Mm. A bit more of an atmosphere in the stadium, despite the empty seats, than maybe you get in the Scarlets. And I don't mean that as a dig at them. There's certainly, Actually, I don't think there's any place better than, than uh, Newport for an atmosphere. It might be a small crowd in there. Mother of God, though, there it's loud in the weirdest stand I've, I've ever come across. And that's, that's due to the fact that they have an unbelievable history. Yes. Dragons don't, but Newport do. Yeah, yeah. I think when we were there a couple of years back, they have something like 40-odd Lions players. Like it's, it, they're an incredible rugby town, and they don't get enough credit for it. Yeah, and, we, and like I talking about rage, like I, I stressed when I said that that it is within the rugby environment. Like you know, there, there's not abuse of players in terms of like uh, you know the, the type of verbal abuse that maybe you get in other sports. It, it was very much just it's partisan and it's biased, obviously to the point of trying to turn referees. My God, they didn't get any, <laughs> didn't have any success in that department. The last day. Mm, well, maybe it's not if they're playing Ponty Pool or Ponty Pre. <laughs> it might get a bit hot, more hot and heavy than than playing for the uh, the, the, the franchise side. All of these Welsh uh, teams have great histories. I know, uh, you know, Neath, Sanekli, Cardiff, but it's it's divorced really from the way the franchises have worked out. I think Newport were probably one of the few teams to actually have clinged on to a certain amount of that, despite changing their name and stuff. I think they've kept it. Maybe it's just because they're in the same ground, right in the heart of town. That that that's the whole point. They're Is in the, they're in the same little. Stadium ground with the back-to-back houses. If you, if you go onto YouTube and look at the game against the New Zealand in 1967, it looks the same now. <laughs> and and it was raining and the wind was howling. It doesn't look any different. Whereas the other places are quite soulless. Yeah. Uh, and Cardiff have never really got their act together since that. They ridiculous... had to move back to their old ground, exactly. which is well, was the almost unprecedented. Really. Yeah, but they actually that didn't help them. That move to Cardiff City football ground didn't help. Yeah, music's picking up, Dave. And, then, and then, first of all, something is. It's interesting. We mix grounds, grounds from different sports. Rodney Parade is used by Newport County. So rather than the rugby going to the soccer boys, the soccer boys have come to come to the rugby ground. Uh, I think we need to, to bring it back to this weekend. There's another issue that nobody's, but it's kind of not been talked about because it just does not even bounce off the rugby's hemisphere here, which is there's a little bit of a battle going for top Italian team, and it's not sorted yet. I thought Zebra should have beaten Leinster last week in the first half. Basically, Zebra literally and metaphorically ran out of players. They just, <laughs> it was just ridiculous where they had to put players. Their fullback ended up playing number eight for the last 20, 25 minutes. They could have beaten Leinster, they didn't. That top Italian th- team may still be a factor. I think we will have too much for them this week, and I think if they're away from home, but going to Italy when there's still a chance that both teams could make the, the Champions Cup next year, I think that's something that needs to be borne in mind, and it, it'll definitely be a factor. And Alan's pointed this out. As for as for the Welsh teams, I thought the funniest thing last week was we were at the Pontypridd game, and they have songs for everything. And one of the loudest songs that came across on New York commentary was the Knock On song. Yeah, so pretty. somebody either Pontypridd are going to Newport games, or Newport have stolen Pontypridd's song. Yeah, yeah. Someone's seen the song. Or Pontypridd stole 
the song from Newport, yeah, which yeah. would be the story in Newport, <laughs> and they'd be able to tell you the date that it happened. <laughs> yeah, yeah, absolutely. I really like uh, years ago when the par- when the European Challenge Cup was called the Parker Pen Shield, and when the clubs were still kind of clubs, and Cardiff fans singing at Clentley fans, Parker Pen, Parker Pen, Parker Pen, which turned into you're going to play in the Biro Cup, which was my favourite part of all that. But anyways, Alan, just to finish, how happy are you with where we stand right now, and what are you thinking over the next two weeks? What does Alan Deegan want to see in terms of points? By the way, that band sounds quite good. I like the sound of them. I have to find your name. Um, They're yeah. upstairs in the Queen Bar. Tonight. It's too late if you want to come. <laughs> I, I reckon um, we, should get a, we should get a win against Treviso. They're going to be shorn of their players. They haven't won an away game all year. Well, sorry, they won one away game all year against Zebra, which doesn't count. Hmm. They, so they haven't won an away game of, of note all season. We should be looking at getting five points there. And then... It just depends on what state Cardiff are in, who comes in, what, what, what way they do things. They're in a bit of free fall at the moment. Um, We're really unsure on what to expect with that, but it's definitely, can we agree, it's definitely a better situation than playing Cardiff in normal circumstances because at least something else has been thrown in the mix. Yeah, you would have, you would have thought so. Like They've lost their last three in a row. Um, so, you know, they, they, they'd expect to, you'd expect them to, to um, lose again this weekend. Like, they're... I know they're at home to Edinburgh, but you know Edinburgh are a decent enough side. Um, they haven't been shown too much of their international players. They'll probably have about eight, nine, ten of the guys who played against us still still available to them. Um, you know, if they they win that, then Cardiff were in in real trouble. Um, but it's two home games in a row for them, so you never know. Dream weekend last weekend, Dave, with Ulster somehow hanging on. Which uh, did they have four players on the pitch by the end there, and Munster. Well, do monster as well. I'd like to say Ian Henderson did us. Did not Ireland a big favour. He did, he did us a massive favour by playing through for 65 minutes on one leg. Uh, also proving that you know, you know, they, they like the 13 man game up there. So how it's not taken off is beyond me. Um, what I'd like for this weekend, what I'd like ultimately, I suppose, I'd like 10 points out of the two games. I don't care. I don't care as long as we, as long as when the two games are over, we have as many if not more points in Scarlet's, I'm quite happy to live with it. That's how we have to look at it for now. We are yeah, playing... We need to be in six coming yeah, into to, the March yeah. games. And what is more important, we are playing... We will know we have two days to... Dis- we will have 36 hours to dissect what has happened to Scarlet's this weekend. Scarlet's shouldn't win in, the, in, in Belfast. I have to say shouldn't. I'm not going to say won't, but they shouldn't win in Belfast. Edinburgh, Cardiff, it could go either way. Either Cardiff will implode or Cardiff will go, this is not us, we will do something. Either way, we will know, and we have to look in this way, always be better than the Scarlets. That's how we've got to vote, because every single game. And if that means we have to get six, we have to get ten points from ten, screw it. Let's go for ten points from ten. Yeah, and we need to, because, like, the, you know, Ulster are unbeaten at home this year, so you'd expect them to beat to beat the Scarlets and hopefully deny them a bonus point. Then Scarlets have Leinster at home. You'd like to see Leinster doing us a favour as well. But then they finish with a, a run of teams that they should win practically all of them. Okay. Zebra, Treviso... Dragons, Edinburgh. Okay. You know they, they've got those their last four games. Um, but so Ulster this weekend, so we could do with them losing at home to or losing away to Ulster and at home to Leinster. Yeah, um, and Edinburgh being there. Sorry, Edinburgh being their fifth game. So that that Edinburgh Scarlets game. I'm not quite sure which way I wanted to go. <laughs> so what do you think? What do you think Connick need from here? Uh, maybe three, probably four wins to have a chance. You would have thought so. We've got you know Zebra away. Um, these two games and then it's one of Munster, Ulster, Glasgow or Ospreys and three of them are at home I'm thinking they sound a bit like Smashing Pumpkins mixed with therapy maybe what do you reckon Dave? 
No, first of all, first of all, you picked you picked two bands with a male singer, which this girl this girl clearly isn't. Secondly, it's not heavy enough to be smashing pumpkins, and you don't feel like nobody's looking like they're throwing themselves out out the window. Therapy not heavy enough. Slide. I would go more more th- more uh, Ten Thousand Maniacs, uh, possibly Belly. Exactly. Um, oh, throwing muses, some of them, something like that, something from those mid eighties girly, you know, slightly wispy girly type thing. Uh, what this has to do with rugby, I'm going to get shot for. <laughs> Uh, yeah, 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 yeah. Uh, Ulster will beat Senecli and Cardiff might do us a favour against Edinburgh. They have a lot to, they have a lot to play for. <laughs> and, uh, and I like the ten thousand maniacs. There's not ten thousand maniacs. And I'm going to bring my ten thousand maniacs tape in the next time. <laughs> I, I haven't. <laughs> we are doing a music podcast, and we'll at least get ten listeners as long as I'm not presenting it. Uh, yeah, final thoughts. Oh, uh, there's a game on on Sunday, and it seems to be clashing with some international game. William, I'm surprised you haven't mentioned this in any podcast. Up in uh, I've I've mentioned. It so often, and I've mentioned it to so many people, and I'm sick mentioning it. And I will, sadly, as I haven't got my uh, ticket for uh, Landstone, I will actually be attending the sports ground. I mightn't be there for the start, but I'll be there within 10 minutes of the kickoff. You'll be it's, there afterwards for the podcast. I will. It's a ridiculous situation. It should never have been allowed to happen. There's also an issue with the kickoff time for the home Glasgow game. Somebody was not awake when that decision was made. No other province, Ulster don't play on a Sunday, but Leinster or Munster wouldn't be asked to, to, to play a game under those circumstances. I normally run a, a thing at work where we've got we've got tickets and this season, um, halfway through last season and all of this season, I've been always oversubscribed. I've had one person wanting a ticket. It's just ludicrous. There's going to be no one at this match. Um, there will be nobody. There was 3,000 people at the Ireland training session. I have made jokes with the staff up there that we would be lucky if we got a third of that for the start of the kickoff. We have a new head of operations appointed this morning. His name's Carl Boyle. He's coming from Mountaineering, Ireland. He is a former captain of Newbridge and he's also from Clare Morris. So he's a mailman. So we have to like him. This shouldn't happen again. But I think it's a combination of lack of self-belief by us and being ta- and taking the mick by other organisations. You'll happily take the late one, won't you, lads? The only way this benefits us is that we have 36 hours to know what the Scarlets have done. But my God, more guys, Ponty. There will be more games, more people at the Ponty Breathe game simply because Ponty Breathe brought people over. Do you remember the Germany game? It'll be as small a crowd as that. And that's really, really disappointing. There might be it might be mobbed at full time. It's going to be it's going to be. 1,500, 2,000 people there at the start and it's not the player's fault and it's just somebody somewhere along the line lost the run of themselves and painted themselves into a corner they couldn't get out of. I'm thinking about being able to bring my dog for the first time in years. <laughs> yeah, you can walk off and down the terrace. <laughs> no, 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 save him for when he has to be thrown over the wall when we're in trouble against the Ospreys. <laughs> yes, dog Create a diversion. Yeah, that's a good call. All right, um, I'm going to to see this band and that's it thanks guys we should find out the name should we that'd be a better finish to the podcast than just the band Dave's going to find the name so Alan any other unusual stats to finish this while Dave's finding the name we've had 17 players score a try for us this year really out of 27 tries that's pretty that's pretty 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 decent we've only had one player score more than two tries and that's Mr Marmion and of course he's not playing (laughs) they're called they're, they're a bunch of students 
And that's not, I wish that was the name of the band, but unfortunately, they are just students. So. <laughs> a bunch of students <laughs> would be a great name. We can't give them that name. Yeah. <laughs> that's the name we can give it to them, yeah. A bunch of, a bunch students. of students. That's it from us. We'll be back uh, straight after Jerry's game. So we might be out on Monday next week, folks, and we'll get back uh, to the day after the game if we can next week. I'm a busy man. I have a lot to do. Lads, I forgot the violins. <laughs> Thank you.